Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Tuesday afternoon. We've got Crystal Kwok in the studio with us. Crystal needs no introduction. I mean, she... Oh, yeah, but, you know, for the for the purposes of Facebook Live, which you can join us there as well. Um, Crystal is a Hong Kong filmmaker. She's a talk show host, a, a former actress as well. And she was our predecessor. She hosted the wonderful Kwok Talk on RTHK Radio 3, numerous TV programs, and now an academic in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> kind of scary, yeah. huh? <laughs> kind of hard to believe. It's amazing, Crystal. So tell us a little bit. So you, you live in Hawaii, but you've done the quarantine. You've done the time and you've <laughs> done the time. I've and done my time here. In Hong Kong. I was just released a couple of days ago. Amazing. Well, tell us about the experience of quarantine in Hong Kong. Oh, well, it's fun, actually, in in relation to other countries because Hong Kong is so convenient, right? You get a couple of apps and you can order anything you want. My daughter and I were having fun saying, okay, well, what do we want to eat today? And then our friends like people like you, even though you didn't come over, um, to drop me off like steak and burgers to cook. That's amazing. Yeah. So no complaints. Hong Kong is the, you know, we're the safest place yeah. to be. So tell us a little bit, what brings you back uh, to, to, to Hong Kong then? Right. So um, the last time I was on your show, I talked about this documentary I've been working on um, about the Chinese in the segregated South, uh, because my grandmother grew up in the South, and I thought it was a very interesting and important angle into America's racial history uh, by looking at the Chinese immigration story and linking it to the African-American experience. And people don't know about it. And people don't talk about it. We often, when we think about American um, uh, racial, uh, about American history, we think about whites and blacks. Exactly. But there are, what about the in-betweens? What about you know, us, the browns, the, the yellows. Exactly. And so it's all that whole chunk in between, that liminal space, right? That whole blur that I'm, I'm trying to unpack. Um, and it's a really important time for it now that the Black Lives Black Matter, Matter movement has erupted. It's, it's almost like this global awakening, um, questioning what racism is and how uh, the U.S. racial structure was really built. People don't really know. I mean, we all went through so-called slave history. Did you learn about slave history? No, we didn't at school. It's only until afterwards we learned about it. I mean, you know, privately by ourselves, but we never learned about it at school. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? It is. And it's crazy how we assume what we see or learn. Um, we don't question that. We don't question the framing that we're given. So leave it in colonial Hong Kong. You don't question like how things are framed by whiteness. Sorry, John. But, you know, <laughs> it's just the way things were created for us. And we don't question it. We didn't even learn about uh, colonial history. I mean, we, we, sorry, we learned about British history, you know, battles of Hastings, 1066. Gosh, but, I don't even know that. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> no, but, the, the, but then we think about what the relevance is right. in a place like Hong Kong. Why didn't we learn about Chinese history, for example? Why yeah. didn't we learn about... Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's very yeah. interesting. So, so my, my kind of um, dive into the history is to connect these... these Dots, invisible dots. Invisible, like um, southern Chinese women in the middle of nowhere who grew up in this black neighborhood in the south during segregation and what that meant. Because they isolated themselves as Chinese, and yet they were surrounded by their um, black neighborhood and how much they interacted or, or kept themselves away really said a lot about their culture and why they kind of kept away. You know the term model minority. Yes. Give us a little bit of context. So, of course, racism occurred against the blacks in the right. South. What about for, for the Chinese? Were they sort of hidden away? or No, was it was it? actually pretty um, uh, out there because the famous Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was created to um, disallow Chinese to come into the uh, country is the only, in fact, the only, I sound like a, you know, stupid academic person, but um, it's the only policy that ever kind of excluded somebody based on race. 
ever. And to think that you weren't allowed to come in, and that was kind of part of the structure because there was such a flow of Chinese immigrants coming in for the cheap labor. Yeah. They thought, okay, well, they don't want to, they need their help, but when they become threatening to the white stability, then they just back off and say, no, it's too many. Let's, let's create a policy to, you know, Bring, stop them from coming. Yeah. But then there were loopholes. So there were like merchants and academics who were allowed to come in. And so that's where my family came in because um, my great-grandparents owned a grocery store. So they were technically merchants. So they were allowed to come in. And the wife was allowed to come in. And they could settle and become residents. Yes. And yes. immigrants. But yes. then going there, um, they were still pitted against. Um, so they were the others. They were still considered colored. Interestingly enough, history um, gave them different... Uh, identities depending on what year it was. So like at one point, um, Chinese were considered uh, whites. (laughs) And then like 10 years later, they changed the rules and said they were non-whites. They were colored. But they were colored and they were not blacks. They were colored and not black. So where do you go when this whole country is set up with such a binary um, structure, right? It's only white white or black. You have white fountains and black fountains. Where does the Chinese drink water? Great question. Where did the Chinese go to drink water? So I start my documentary with a bus ride, and I go and interview people randomly on this bus in Chinatown, and I ask people, including this African-American bus driver, where do you think the Chinese sat? And she goes, wow, that's a really good question, because nobody ever thinks about the in-between spaces. Yeah. But in light of, again, this Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement, in context to anti-blackness, where do the Chinese or Asians in general fit into this conversation? Because there's been a lot of, I don't know if you've been listening to, you know, the George Floyd case and one of the policemen is Asian, Mm -hmm. right? So, and then before that COVID times, there was the whole victimization of Chinese. Exactly. And then there was a a sign in McDonald's in in China saying no blacks allowed. Yeah. In 7-Elevens, they like shut them out. They won't even let them come in. It's really crazy. It is. But where does racism come from? You know, that's the question. Yeah. So actually, you're doing a very, you're you're doing a very interesting talk. You're talking about anti-blackness through the eyes of Of Asian American, a Chinese American female. I like to emphasize the female part because the woman's lens is still underrepresented. And I think it opens up a different dimension to history. You know, intimate stories like men are not going to want to talk when it it comes to history, not going to talk about like, yeah, here I go. Sex lives, your, your your marriage situation and how you had to endure things with your husband or whose body, who had control over your body. They're yeah. not going to talk about that stuff. But me, you know, I love that <laughs> stuff. And so I'm going to go there. I'm going to go into that. And, and and talk a little bit more about that. Well, let's t- give us a bit of a flavor. So where does a whole Chinese fit in? Because we've, we've touched on this in the past, you know, Casual racism happens in, in, in our community. You know, we can't say that Chinese people or Asians aren't racist. It's not just absolutely, a, you know, it, it happens. We, we've heard it growing up in Hong Kong. We've experienced it um, in the past. It's not just, a, a, you know, a Western thing. It, it doesn't just happen in America. No, Chinese have always been kind of discriminating against their own kind. And that's more of a class. A class right? thing. So if you're from the South, like for me, I'm Southern Chinese and that associated with peasant class because we were working the fields because the village that most of the immigrants came over from the south to San Francisco, right? And they were villagers. They were poor villagers. From Toishan, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the, the, the accents. So people kind of looked out on that. They're not the prestigious kind of cultured people from Shanghai and Beijing. Yeah. So, and then I'm dark. I'm like you, Maureen. (laughs) We're like 
We're I'm like, sorry, we're, we're, we're peasant class. We're <laughs> not bringing it down. Not at all. People aspire and to this. And you got the double whammy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Half Chinese, half Pakistani. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you're low. <laughs> I'm so proud to be yeah. brown. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that's the thing. That's actually a very interesting uh, observation. Um, a previous uh, gender cafe that Karen did was talking about skin whitening. Yeah. And a lot of the times that, you know, where does this come from? Does this come from sort of um, a colonial m- master mindset where they have white skin? So, you know, people who were colonized wanted to have aspired to that beauty standard? Or did it come from a sort of um, as simple as if you were darker, you were seen as someone who worked in the fields? Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, a quote unquote peasant, you know, you had you had the harder life. You were exposed to the sun, whereas mm. somebody who was richer, you got to stay indoors. So where does that come from? from does it come from colonization or does it actually come from an inbuilt um, class system yeah, sure. sort of mentality. I think both, and in context to the U.S. history, or is, Japan, you know, we, we a lot of Asians, yeah, true. the whitening, and, and that's aspiring. not a racial the, the, approach to their products. My gosh, yeah, they just wanted to be whiter, <laughs> and and Japanese are tend to be fair skinned, you know, porcelain skin and all that ceramic, beautiful exactly. know, things that we don't have. Well, I don't have anyway. Your skin's pretty good, um, <laughs> but no, but I want to bring it back to the U.S. context because people don't understand. You know the term miscegenation. No. So that was a, a, a law um, enforced during segregation where you're not allowed to marry um, somebody from a different race. So it was illegal. So my grandmother, she had a couple of siblings who married a white person, and they had to go across another state to marry because it was illegal. So you know that famous movie, La Loving. Love, yes. yes so exactly. Right. Love, yes. So people don't think about the Asians were also considered colored, and so they were not technically allowed to marry white people. But why was it always framed around the whiteness? It's because the structure, the white supremacist structure, really... Um, wanted to keep their racial purity. And so they have these laws to say it's not good to mix with colored blood because it's gonna dilute our purity. It's crazy to think that this was just the last century and the it's last a few sort hundred of, years. Yeah, 60 years ago, it was still illegal. Wasn't 1967 it? was when my um, cousin who grew up as a biracial daughter, a female, um, remembered distinctly when they desegregated and ch- changed their miscegenation laws. And that's not that long ago. Of course, because your cousin is half Chinese, half African-American. Oh, I have that one too, yes. Yeah, 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 no, that one. I yes. you were referring to that, to, to that one. Yeah, yes. so I have biracial black Chinese cousins that I never knew existed because the family didn't want to talk about it. Seriously? Yeah. So they just didn't Think about her growing up, and she went to visit her grandparents, who lived in a very white neighborhood in Santa Barbara, which is a very shishi place, right? And they were not allowed to play in the front yard because her grandparents didn't want her neighbors to think that she that they had black grandkids. So imagine what that does to you psychologically. You'd feel you'd feel the shame. You'd be carrying that shame that your grandparents had. So, like, if your yeah. daughter grew up and she was in a place, if you moved to that, they were so um, white centered, yeah, and they felt that she, there was something. You know, how would that f- make you feel? Exactly. Oh, that's so bad to think. And and we're so multiracial here in Hong Kong. I think there's a relevance because we're all from different places. And if we can bring that conversation to how it relates to our lives and our cultural backgrounds, I think there's a lot of deep, uncomfortable conversations that need to be addressed. It's a good thing. I'm just thinking about my kids. I mean, I'm I'm half Chinese, half Pakistani. Andy is... Australian, but he's actually half Scottish, half Dutch. Right. So. But what if it's the reverse? One day they go, oh, your dad's a redhead. Whoa, where, where's 
Yeah. Well, you're weird, you know? I'm surprised they don't do that already. But, <laughs> oh, that's so terrible to think that. And think about black women. I'm sorry to say, but people, like, we are so privileged. We don't think as Asians, as, as whites, or any non-black um, racial group, won't think about the stress and the pressures that black mothers have to raise black sons in terms of preparing them for potential danger as being victims of, of, of violence in the States. This is real. There are conversations that mothers have to train their boys how to protect their lives. This is crazy. And this is today. And that's why I think it's really important to talk about anti-blackness because it, 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 we should be concerned. Yeah, you know? but you know, I think it's also about lending your privilege um, as well. It's it's no point, you know, a, a group of you know Black Lives Matter, and 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 it of course it matters, but it also relies heavily on the white counterparts, you know, people who are in positions of privilege to speak up against, um, to to speak for 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 the matter for for this cause. Yeah. Are you seeing an uprising of that in America? Because yeah. I see amongst you know. A lot of my friends, I suppose it's an echo chamber, but a lot of them recognize... And that's the thing, the bubble. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced in their safe space. So nobody wants to admit that people are potentially racist or have these preconceptions, yeah. right? And it's, it's confronting. It's uncomfortable yeah. to really challenge, oh gosh, have I ever said anything that could be seen as racism? You know, that joke, could it be... And, and now it's like overboard. A lot of people are criticizing that, like, oh, gosh, it's, it's you know, oversensitized. But at the same time, I think it's the time for this to come out, a time mm. to listen to African-American people to express what they've been burdened with for hundreds of years and how it's affected their lives. And it's just kind of insensitivity and how we can kind of, I guess, reach racial harmony globally. It's kind of like, you know, like the Me Too movement, that watershed moment. Do you mm -hmm. feel like this is that point for... It's not there yet. It's not this there is yet. just a, like a tip of the iceberg where people are kind of coming up to the the beginning of the race line. I've heard somebody refer to that. And the we race haven't line. even come yeah. to that point where we can move this forward and make a difference. People are just surfacing to, you know, look at, look at, I hate to talk politics, but look at Trump. Oh, my God. Well, oh, I was going to say, how do you think Trump has enabled or... Yes. So everything coming out of the woodworks is saying, well, well, Trump says it's like this is okay. So then a lot of people are doing that. And racism There's has no consequence increased. to what he says. You know, he can say something and then nobody calls him out on it. So then he they says do, something. but he still gets away with it yeah. because the fifty. I would say a good half of the America, America is a pro-Trump supporter, even though they don't agree with a lot of things he does. They will still, and that's why the election is kind of a scary situation because there's still a chance that he could win, right? Because kind of Joe Biden's kind of a bland person. No offense. I mean, I don't look at him. I, I mean, I don't know what I'd talk to him about. Doesn't rejuvenate the base. <laughs> he's not exactly a little kind of a hit person, but he's a good guy, and you know, he's going to help us in education and all these other policies. But yeah. what's the choice? Two middle-aged old white guys to continue the country's didn't policies. Kanye West say he was gonna yeah join the race? I wish he did <laughs> something to mix it up a little oh, bit no, <laughs> just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any worse um but uh, before I let you go Crystal I know you know you're based in Hawaii are you seeing more people sort of discussing race nowadays are you seeing that you know it's it's more acceptable to talk about it it's not just acceptable it's almost the new norm if you don't talk about it there are all these organizations have surfaced to say that they're coming up with these um declarations on their pages to say we support the Black Lives Matter movement and if they don't it's like they're not you know they're not 
a proper activist. It's great that you mentioned that, but I've also noticed a backlash. You know, some people sure. who will say, you know, why does it have to be about race? Why do you have to sort of... Then the, the other people say, well, it's about normalizing the discussion. It's about bringing yeah. it to the forefront. Yeah, it, it, it's about bringing attention to something that's been a problem for too long. And so we need to talk about it. And that's why I'm so happy that I've come here to be able to um, talk about that this Friday, actually, at the Africa Center. Um, of TST. Hong Kong yeah. um, and Innocent Mutaga, I think he's been on your show yeah, before and right. he's a strong activist and believing in um, in conducting a range of discussions, important and uncomfortable discussions on anti-blackness but learning it through an Asian lens is I think a nice alternative approach to it, a softer if you will maybe not so soft but it's a way to engage how we can connect to this movement um, from our perspective, from our different cultural uh, backgrounds. Excellent. Well, Crystal, I know you'll be giving your chat uh, this Friday That's right. uh, between 7 to 9 at the Hong Kong um, African Center. And as Crystal mentioned just now, Innocent uh, Mutagai will be moderating uh, the event. So you can RSVP. I'll post a link onto the Facebook page, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3, so you can go and support uh, this wonderful chat which is happening this Friday. Yeah, in, in prepare for some uncomfortable conversation because that's what we need. Come, please. Prepare yourselves, guys. You've heard. Thank you so much and for your time. we can talk about sex, too, we want. <laughs> for part two. Thank you so much, Crystal, for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Thanks, That's Crystal Kwok.